0: Also, I want to thank this morning Bryce, who helped. Um, if you see the parking lot light, it's finally up. And uh, I, helped the la- I held the ladder, and Bryce put that thing all together. He's an electrician, and he knew what he was doing, it. And, it, and it looks really good. And um, we've got a couple little things to do. And, but I just appreciate uh, people that come out and help. We are hoping to have a uh, um, work party. Jay and, and some of us are working on that. To get a few things done, that need to be winterized around the property. And uh, John, Big John's been helping on that too. And uh, we're going to need, we'll let you know when that day is going to be because trying to find an open day right now is really tough. It's for, for only for men and women. So, <laughs> so you ladies that are handy in any way, there's, we need help. There's some things that ladies are much better at than, than the men are. All right. Well, we get to have a little fun this morning. Dale, are you ready? Okay. (laughs) We're going to have a little fun this morning. I'm going to talk about Jesus the narrow gate and Jesus the shepherd of the sheep. So I'm going to need some help this morning. And I'm going to Can you guess what I'm talking about? My favorite bathrobe, it's the only one I have. So. OK, I need some folks to help me. Pardon? I do, I forgot I was going to grab that. I need, theres you have an opportunity this morning to help me in my message. And um, there are, I need three people to be sheep, and I need someone to be a robber, and I need someone to be a hired hand, and someone to be a wolf. Then I need a few people to just stand and be a a fence. So if you don't want to talk at all or do anything, you can be a fence, okay? Okay. So what I want to do is I'm going to move this over here, and I'm going to move this over here to the side. So first of all, I need a a sheepfold. So that means I need a fence. So who would come up here and just stand and hold hands? Come on up here and just kind of over here. We need like five, five or six people and make a circle. Good. I got lots of volunteers that don't want to say anything. That's cool. That works. Okay. Now I need three people to be sheep. And you don't have to say anything either, except you can go, bah, once in a while, if you want. So who would will be willing to be a sheep? Okay. Yeah. And you get a prop. You get to wear. Yes. We got male, male sheep today. So you get, okay. Alright, now we need, we need a wolf. So, I need a guy to be a wolf. And you don't have to say anything, except you you can kind of go roar once in a while. So, I need a wolf. I need a guy to come be a wolf. Is that you, Brett? All right. (laughs) You have some things to put on. And I need um, somebody who's really cool to be a hired hand. And you don't have to say anything either. John, Okay. Hired hand. And finally, I need a robber. And the robber doesn't have to say anything either. So you be a robber? okay? Get to put these on. You can do it over there. Put those on. Okay. You guys need to kind of make a circle with an opening for, for the gate. So let's put the opening like right here. Go that, go that way a little bit. Okay. So the opening's right here. Okay. Spread out a little bit. Spread out a little bit. Come over this way. So the opening only needs to be this wide. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. Boy, that sounds bad. Bad. Okay. I'm going to read from John, chapter 10, and you get to, we're going we're gonna to walk through this together, and you guys get to, uh, some of you get to do the acting out. Doesn't Brett look great? Uh, Brett is the wolf. Brett is the wolf. Where's your tail? It's right here. He's got a tail. Okay. Okay, so Jesus is talking, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, in the Middle East, guess who is the gate? The sheep pens were made out of stones, made a fence, like four feet tall, so sheep couldn't jump over it, and there was an opening. And in the Middle East, I don't think they had metal hinges and stuff very available, So the shepherd actually sat down in the opening. So I'm going to be the gate. So I'm going to get a chair. So Let me grab this stool. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah. So you guys come close so that the gate's closed. So I am the gate. Jesus is talking to us. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves. So thieves and robbers, but the true sheep (laughs) did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. (laughs) Okay, you ready? They will come and go freely. And will find good pasture. They will find good pasture. They come and go freely. Bad? <laughs> okay. The thief's purpose, where's our thief? Is to steal and to kill and destroy. You can't come in when I'm here. You can't come in yet. You can't come in yet. I'm in the gate. The Jesus is in the gate. You stay in. (laughs) My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand. There's our hired hand. Come here. You sit down. Put your earphones in. He's the hired hand. He's not paying much attention, right? He's listening to music. The hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. Where's the wolf? Scare the hired hand. <laughs> run, run, run. <laughs> and then what does the wolf do? The hired hand left. You go, you go in and grab sheep. And so the wolf... Okay, the hired hand runs when he sees the wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. (laughs) Chase them. (laughs) The hired hand runs away because he's only working for the money. (laughs) And he doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. Come on back. And they know me. Just as my Father knows me and I know my Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold. There you are. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. All right, let's give these guys a hand. Thank you, sheep. (laughs) You guys did great. my favorite verse than that is? Actually, I'll tell you about it in a minute. Dale, are are you ready to continue? I want to read one more verse, or two more verses, from Matthew 7, 13 and 14. It goes along with this. Jesus said, and again, we've been talking about the red letters, the things that Jesus taught in the New Testament. Jesus said, Enter by the narrow Gate. Do you notice that the gate here was only about as wide as me? And it's pretty wide, I know. But um, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many. Who go in by it. Some people say that that word actually means most. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few, few who find it. So, why, why is Jesus saying that my gate is narrow? Come on. Pardon? He's the only way, yeah. He's saying there's only one way to get into my sheepfold, and that's through me. Do you notice that Jesus claimed to be two things in this passage we read? He's the shepherd, and he's also the gate. In some translations, it's the door. But door doesn't work too well if you're with sheep, right? gate works much better. That's really a good better translation. So anyway, that favorite verse of mine is it says they will come and go freely. Do you notice that the sheep were able to come and go freely? But what about what about at nighttime? What do the sheep do? Do they come and go freely? Where are they at night? Yeah, they're in the sheepfold. Why? When does the robber come? When does the wolf come? At night. And so at night, the the shepherd becomes the gate and says, don't leave, because he knows how dangerous it is for sheep. You think sheep sometimes get upset because the shepherd says you can't go out? How many of us had kids at home and at night they wanted to go out on a Friday night and you were going, no, I don't want you to go out to that party or that whatever it is. And did those parents do that for a good reason? Did they know better? They know what happens? Did you ever hear the saying that nothing really good ever happens after midnight? Yeah. You got testimony there? (laughs) So, it's narrow. The way to the Father is narrow because it's only through one person. Jesus, His Son. The shepherd becomes the gate. He sleeps in the opening. A broad gate would allow the sheep to wander, right? They can do whatever they want and be lost and let predators in. You know, wide and broad sounds good, doesn't it? And in many contexts in in the Scripture, things that are broad and wide are wonderful. But in the context of God's salvation, he's saying that people who choose the broad and the wide gate will lead, it leads to destruction. Because the broad and wide gate is representing other ways to come to God. How many of you have heard that, that uh, always lead to God? That's what New Age teaches, what many, many uh, other religions teach. Always lead to God. And we are often, as believers, criticized because we believe in something which people call exclusive. They say, You're too narrow, you're too exclusive that Jesus is the only way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. But let me ask you, if you're driving down the road in your car and you said to yourself, it is so restrictive to drive on the right side of the road, going down the freeway. It is too restrictive. I want to have the whole road. What happens if you take the whole road You know, I I heard about a a state patrolman just last week. He saw a drunk man coming on an on-ramp to go into the wrong lane of traffic on a freeway. And in order to stop him from hitting the traffic, he rammed the guy with his own car and was almost killed. The policeman almost gave his life. I don't know if he recovered or not. He was in critical care in the hospital because he he attempted to stop a man who would have killed countless people because he was getting ready to come ride onto a freeway against the flow of traffic. So we believe that there's only one way to drive on the highway, but we don't consider that to be restrictive. And how many other countless examples do we believe in one way of doing things? I mean, if you wanted to do your taxes and just be creative and do them whatever way look good to you, would the IRS go, well, yeah, whatever you want to do? No way. They're going to go, no, you did it wrong, penalty. There's only one way to do your taxes, the right way, the way that they lay it out for us. So how many people come in through the narrow gate? It says few. That's kind of sobering, isn't it? How many people choose the broad path? the majority. So, are you looking to the majority opinion as to find what is right for you to do for the way you should go? Are you looking for the popular voice, what, what the loudest voice is shouting for you to do? Brooke and I watch a little bit of TV and it's hard. It's, it's hard because if we watch TV, the normal these days culturally is for people that, to have a sexual relationship with anybody they want to without a marriage covenant to do whatever they want. And, and almost every TV show now embraces a gay lifestyle as normal. And, 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 and implicates, or it, it, it implies that, that anybody that doesn't believe that is really, really narrow-minded. You know, there are people who have left our church because we hold to what Jesus said and what Paul wrote in the Scripture about alternate sexual lifestyles. We love those people, everybody... Deals with temptations, we don't judge anybody for temptations. It's it's choices to act out and live lifestyles that are destructive and that God says, this is outside the bounds that I created for you to be able to thrive in. And um, that's a hard thing. It's a real hard thing. But we our choice, we can either be faithful to Jesus and experience his blessing, his wisdom, his direction or we can just color outside the lines and do whatever we want, and then we will stand one day before the Lord to give account for our actions and our choices. Plus, we will not have a witness for Christ in our, in our community if we color outside the lines and live like the world lives. Not easy, but very important. In the days that are coming, we're coming into those who are half-hearted followers of Jesus are not going to survive. I know that sounds blunt, but it's true. You remember the story in the Old Testament about the prophet going to the king? And he told the king, he gave him this packet of arrows, and he said, smack the arrows on the ground, on the floor. And so the king grabbed the arrows and he, he smacked it three times on the ground. And what did the prophet say to him? He said, you idiot! If you had smacked it six or seven times, you would have defeated your enemies completely, the enemies being the Syrian empire at that time. But he said, because you only smacked it three times, you're only going to have victory for three years. What was the real issue here? It was the king's heart. The king either didn't take the prophet seriously or he was just half-hearted. When the prophet said, smack the ground, the king should have have said, we should say, I'll keep going until you tell me to stop. It's like Simon says. If Simon says, doesn't, doesn't say stop, if he says, Simon says, clap your hands, we keep clapping until he says, Simon says, stop, right? When the prophet, or if Jesus says to us, smack the ground with those arrows, if we have mild desires and we're half-hearted and we stop briefly, who are we really thinking about? Are we really thinking about God? We're thinking about ourselves, how we look. God is calling us to be people that are that don't care about anybody's opinion except the Lord's. And in these days we are coming into, we've got to make up our mind who is really master of my life. You see, there's a big difference between being a citizen of alliance who attends church and believes in God versus being a sold-out son and daughter believer of the Lord Most High, a disciple of Jesus, because the one person is really still running their life. I'm in charge. I choose to attend church. I'm in charge. I believe in God, sure. But really, I'm the one calling the shots. But when it comes to a disciple, follower of Jesus, they say, my life is not my own to direct. It belongs to the one that purchased it. Jesus Christ purchased me with his precious blood on the cross. And I will only go where he goes. I will only do what he does. I will only say what he tells me to say. And we've got to be at that point where it doesn't, I'm not talking about how well you're performing. I'm talking about who you have chosen to be first in your life. If Jesus isn't first, you're going to have a really, really, really hard time. And you may not survive the days ahead. I'm speaking these things to us as a congregation because I want to have a church in two or three years to be able to preach to, to be able to pastor. When we lose somebody because they've been snared by the world and believe the lies of the enemy and have gone and and, uh, no longer come, for whatever, for those reasons anyway, it breaks my heart. It does. And I don't want to lose to the enemy anybody that I can possibly help stay the course. We must deal with this issue of believing that Jesus is the only way. It's really, I've I've talked to a lot of people that believe that God is unfair. If if Jesus is the the only way, then God must be unfair. Because how could everybody hear about Jesus in time to be saved? I want to talk about this for a second. But I want to give you a little bit of background first. In the Old Testament, how were people saved? Tell me, how do people get saved in the Old Testament? Yes, following the law. In Exodus 19, Moses says, or the Lord says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. So they had to obey the Ten Commandments, they had to obey the ceremonial laws and the sacrifi- sacrificial laws. And could any of the people back then actually obey everything? No. No, they couldn't. Nobody was able to obey the law perfectly. So um, did any of the Jews really keep God's law perfectly? No, they didn't. They couldn't. They're human. They were not able to. They did not have the Holy Spirit of God living inside them either. In Acts 15, verse 10... Peter describes this as a load that neither our forefathers nor we have been able to carry. Saddled with the 613 commandments of the law. He called it a load nobody could carry. So how did God provide for those who broke that law? Anybody? What did those people have to do on a regular basis? Sacrifices, right, good. Leviticus 16.30 says, On that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. And that was an animal sacrifice, a bull or a goat or a sheep or a dove. then Hebrews 9.13, which is New Testament, but is talking about the Old Testament, says, Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. So God accepted those sacrifices, but we also read in Hebrews that that was because he knew Jesus was coming. And it's like Jesus' death on the cross retroactively was covering their sins. Isn't that amazing? Now under the new covenant, we've got to to realize a few things. Matthew 5.20, Jesus is talking and he says, unless your righteousness, and he's talking to his disciples, okay, before the cross, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So has he lowered the bar any? No, he actually raised the bar. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about divorce, he talked about murder, he talked about cursing, and he actually, and lust, looking men, looking, he said, he used to say it was wrong to lust after a woman to commit adultery with her. He says in the New Testament, even looking at a woman with lust in your heart is sin. So Jesus actually raised the bar. So we realize how in the world are we going to do this? James chapter 2, verse 10 says, The person who keeps all the laws except one is guilt is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. I hope that makes you kind of sober-minded, right? That's pretty, it's like, well, God, who can, say, who can be saved? And that's a great question to ask. And then 1 John 1.10, John says, If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that His word has no place in our hearts. So what's the answer to this? sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. Let me read again in Hebrews 9. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer can cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. How much more now the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, we just talked about that, we just took communion, will purify our consciences from sinful deeds, so that we can worship the living God, for by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered Himself to God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And I love this verse, Romans five seventeen. For if by one man's offense, death reigned, who is that one man? Adam. Yes, Adam. So by Adam's initial sin. Death was spread to the whole human race. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Paul is saying there that just like with Adam, sin was spread from one person to everybody. It's like an infection, right? Now, through Jesus, he's saying that we receive a gift of grace and a gift of righteousness So that we can reign in life. Does reign mean just getting by? I'm reigning in my life. Reigning means you're experiencing power. You're experiencing success. You're experiencing victory in your life. And that's what Jesus has provided for us. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, covered me when I sinned, okay? But in the New Testament, Jesus' sacrifice empowers me to not have to sin. To not have to sin. You get the difference? In the Old Testament, it was expected that nobody could keep the law, and so the the sacrifices are just to keep purifying you because you got dirty because of sin. But in the New Testament, Jesus' sacrifice, one time, Empowers us through the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of His righteousness, actually live a life in which we reign, we experience overcoming grace and power in our lives. So we don't have to sin. Does that mean we never sin? No, it's right. I love 1 John chapter 2, 1 says, but if you do sin, there's a sacrifice that covers it. The blood of Jesus covers you. The gift of not having to sin such an awesome thing. I don't know about you, but you should be experiencing transformation as a Christian believer, where you actually are finding your desires are changing. Temptations are not affecting you like they used to when you didn't know the Lord. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be some strongholds that you've got to deal with and battle through, depending on how much you sowed in those areas when your old life. You may have some issues that take time to work through. I had years of dealing with certain issues in my life before I really experienced real victory. But there's hope because His Spirit is working and living inside of us. So Jesus is the way. I just want to read a few verses that will help you with that. And and if you've got the notes this morning that are over there on that little table, I really encourage you to look these up and, and think and meditate on them this week. So I've already read John 14.6 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So has anybody come to God the Father apart from Jesus? Nobody. Okay, We're going to talk about that in a minute. Acts 4.12 says "There's there's no salvation in any other name. No other name under heaven given by which men can be saved men and women. John 5.12 says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. You can't get much clearer than that, can you? we really got to get this right, and we've got to be careful that we don't judge God and judge God's motives. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us God's heart. Peter writes, the Lord is not being slow about returning, about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. But you see, God created us with a real will. We can really choose. We have real freedom to choose for God or against God. I'm not going to go through all these verses but I wrote some verses down there, Revelation 21, 13, John 7, 37, John three sixteen, John 3, 16, whosoever will, right? God gave us an amazing, incredibly strong ability in our choice, our ability to choose our free will. We can actually say no to God and refuse Him. That's a scary thing in John 5:39 and 40 Jesus said to the Pharisee or to these people who were resisting him he said you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life but the scriptures point to me yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life and in Matthew 24 um, or not, 22 I think it is he says that how I long to gather you in my arms like a hen gathers her chicks but you were unwilling speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem, Jesus' day. So that's a pretty scary thing to have the power to choose against God as well as to choose for God. You know, none of us deserve salvation, do we? None of us. Romans 3.10, Paul writes, There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. The reason we come to God is because the Spirit of God has drawn us to him. We can't even claim that we chose to get saved and so we came to God. That actually was God drawing us. That's a term called prevenient grace. The grace of God that brings you to himself. I'm going to go up to ask this next question. Is God fair or is God merciful? If God was fair, what would he do with us? Remember? yeah. Because we were his enemies. Romans 5 says that while we were yet his enemies, Jesus died for us. So if God was fair, we have all sinned against him. We have all lived and acted independently. If he really was fair, he could judge us and condemn us forever. You know, we really need to settle that in our heart because that's really crucial for us to be able to really value our salvation, the gift that our salvation is. So really, God's not fair. He's merciful. He's merciful to us. He does not look upon our sins. He chooses, because of His passionate heart, to have relationship with us, to receive us as sinners and pay for our sin price Himself and bring us into relationship with Him. So the last question I want to address is, what about all those people that don't get to hear about Jesus? What about all the people that haven't been reached in unreached countries that die? Is God just writing them off? Are they just, well, I want to just read a couple things. Psalm 19, first of all, a few verses that It says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth. And their words to all the world. How much of the world is hearing about God? All the world. I'm going to add to it Romans chapter 1, verse 2, verses 18 and 20 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. The tr- part of that truth, what's that truth? He, he explains it. He says, Because what may be known of God is manifest. What does manifest mean? It means to be shown or revealed, right? So, what is to be known about God is revealed to them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, now listen to this, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. What are some invisible attributes of God? Patience. When you look at creation, what do you see about God? Beauty? you see God's care and protection and love? You know that if the sun was one degree further away from us than it is, you know how much of the earth would be covered in ice? If the sun was one degree closer than it is to us now, do you know what kind of heat we would be experiencing? God created an earth that is a perfect environment for us. Because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Then he lists some of those attributes, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse to suppress the truth and reject God. Okay? Okay? You've got to understand that God goes to amazing lengths to reach the people of this earth. Nobody goes to hell that doesn't choose to go to hell. you believe that? I do. I'm convinced of that. If anybody is looking for God, God's going to make sure that they bump into Him. Listen to this. In the book of Revelation alone, during the tribulation period, we see God reaching the population that has still on the earth after the rapture, by four different ways he's trying to reach those people to save any that will come to him during the tribulation. And these are people that the day after the rapture, the earth doesn't have Christians on it. Because all the Christians that have put their faith in Jesus have been, have been taken away to be with the Lord, and then they'll return with him when they return. I know that we have some different views on that with some of us, but I'm just kind of simplifying it for now. Because the point I want to make is that God's dealing with primarily people who have rejected him, and look what he does. First of all, he brings a special angel, Revelation 14, verse 6. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Who is that angel going to hit? Who is he going to To Every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Everyone on earth is going to see an angel telling them how to get saved. Does that sound like God really trying hard to save the earth? Well, then he adds to this in Revelation 11, verse 3. he, He brings out two guys called the two witnesses who prophesy and do signs and wonders and the whole earth watches them. And we know that today we can do that because of media. And at one point, the Antichrist kills them, and three days later, they're resurrected on TV. Read Revelation 11 and 12. Two witnesses who preach the truth about Jesus. They are killed and and resurrected, and then in front of everybody, they ascend to heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think that would be a pretty, pretty powerful testimony. The third one is we read that God in Revelation 14 brings out 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 12,000 from every tribe, who go throughout the world sharing God's plan of salvation. And then the fourth thing God does is He allows judgments to come on the earth. We read in the Old Testament that when your judgments are in the earth, then people will learn to fear the Lord. And in, Revel- in Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, we read after all these horrible plagues, including what looks like a meteorite striking the ocean and killing about a third of mankind and a lot of other different plagues that are in, in Revelation, we read, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or of their sexual immorality or their thefts. That gives you an idea of what kind of lifestyle the people on earth at that time are living. So God has tried four ways after the rapture, which itself is going to be a witness of the truth of Scripture. A special angel, two witnesses, 144,000 evangelists, and the plagues themselves. Do you think God's trying to save everybody that could possibly be saved? I mean, if... if if you're not saved during this this time in in history, and I'm afraid that none of us are here, then you really don't want to be saved. You really don't want to deal with God. So I ask again the question, is God merciful? Yes, He is. Very merciful. So I want to close with one scripture, 1 Peter 3.15. Peter says, you need to sanctify Christ as Lord or make or worship Him as Lord of your life, in the New Living Translation. And if someone asks about the hope that you have, your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So I want to ask this morning, how many of you know how to explain to someone how to get saved? Raise your hands if you know how to explain to someone how to get saved. Ollie, raise your hands you know how to explain to somebody how to, how to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior? Okay, that's most of us. So I want to challenge you this week to find a, a Christian friend. This is your homework. A Christian friend and explain to them how to become a Christian and then have them practice on you. Think you could do that? Can you do that? Because you need to get used to doing this. You need to be able to very easily say, yeah, this is how I became a Christian. Okay, we're, we're, we're pretty much done. Just a few questions as we go, and I'm sorry I'm a little bit over today. This morning, are you a true sheep? Remember we talked about the true sheep? Recognize the voice of the shepherd and not the thief or the robber or the wolf. Are you submitted to Jesus as your shepherd? Do you recognize who the wolf is and who the hirelings are? They're not the same. We know the wolf kills, steals and destroys, right? Hirelings are people that appear to care for you but they really don't care about you. They do not give their life for you. Okay? Is Jesus your gate this morning? Are you staying where you're supposed to be when he says stay in tonight? It's not safe to go out. Are you listening to him? Is he really directing your steps? Do you really go to him and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Or do you just kind of like do what you want to do? Do you accept that Jesus is the only way to the Father? And that he has a heart and knows how to reach everybody in every nation, in every unreached people group. He knows if there is somebody looking for him, He will reveal himself to them. How many of you have heard that in Iran, which is the fastest growing nation in the sense of people becoming Christians at 20% almost a year, in Iran, thousands and thousands of people have come to Christ without a person telling them they had dreams and angels came to them. And whole villages have been saved because God wants to save people. Isn't that awesome? And finally, have you been judging God's heart about this? Have you been saying God's not fair? He does—he's playing favorites, and some people get a chance and other people don't. That's not true. That's a lie from the pit of hell trying to get you to not trust God, to not trust Jesus. Some here this morning may need to repent for believing that lie. So as we close, I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. I encourage you—we have prayer up the front. We're going to put some worship music on, and I encourage you to come up and to say, Lord if this is true of you, Lord, I believed a lie. I didn't think you were fair. I didn't know that you really cared about the whole world and you're actually trying to save everybody that can come to you. So let's close in prayer. And I want to ask Brett, uh, maybe grab another person, maybe Hope, Brett and Hope, come up and just be ready to pray for somebody. If anybody comes up to be prayed, need to be prayed for. So God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for all these wonderful true sheep. Thank you for our uh, sheepfold and And for all of our wonderful actors this morning and actresses, God, we really, I think we got the point. You are the good shepherd and you are the gate. Help us, Lord, to trust you with the people who don't know you and to cry out for them to have a change of heart, those that are rejecting you right now. And Lord, we just thank you that you love us so, so deeply and that you're going to keep us in the days ahead. Help us, Lord, to really count the cost and to choose to follow you no matter what happens and our world. And we just give you glory and praise today as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.